I just want to remind you, as we get started here this morning, to tune in to the live stream. Oh, I guess I can take this off. Sorry about that. Yes, for those of you who need to read lips like I do, you're lost. And, uh, but uh, anyway, we were saying that uh, tonight, tune into the live stream. We're picking back up our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Pastor Mike will be leading us through that uh, this in the month of January as we continue to march through uh, Luke's account of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the impact and really the, the kingdom implications. And uh, so uh, be sure to enjoy that. Uh, gather your family around. And um, I know it's difficult to preach to an empty auditorium, uh, but it is heartfelt to know uh, that people are out there uh, being encouraged. And if there's, I know if there's something specific that the Lord really impresses your heart on through that teaching, I know that uh, particularly when you're preaching to an empty audience, Pastor Mike would like to know that, that that's a helpful thing. And uh, that helps you know if you're, you're way off in your study or you're kind of right where you need to be because God's people help us to, to discern that. So anyway, take your Bibles and open to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start there, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I know that's a shock. We're not in the Psalms. Uh, so we're going to deviate just a bit from that. We're going to take as our theme this morning from the Word of God, uh, new. We want to take the theme new, new things, new. Uh, we're going to look at that and uh, study that together in three separate passages. And we're going to start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if I had a proposition for our topical study this morning... Our, my proposition would be this, that God wants us as a church, Grace Church of Menor, here living in the 21st century, 2021 now, serving our community here, being the light that God wants us to be. God wants us to live life in transformative newness, in transformative newness. Now, my hope uh, in hearing that proposition uh, perhaps some of the cobwebs of the past year are going to clear out a little bit. And we're going to see exactly that, obviously, the king is still on the throne, that the church still has much work to do, and that we are qualified and equipped as a body of believers to effectively do that work that God has called us to do. So, so hopefully you'll be encouraged to keep on keeping on here this morning as we understand this concept of new, new things in the New Testament and how that applies to us this morning. So let's pray. We'll ask the Lord for help this morning uh, as we get into our subject matter. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth that we are new. And we are new in Christ. And as we look to a new year, and as perhaps we've wrestled with a year gone by and Certainly, the realities exist that uh, the pandemic have had a profound impact, uh, that we as individuals are growing older and we succumb to time ourselves, and uh, we certainly don't always know new is our experience, uh, but we thank you that new is the reality that is ours in Christ, and I pray that we would Renew our hearts to that understanding as we look forward to what you have for Grace Church of Menor in 2021, uh, that we would do so uh, in the strength and power of newness. 
uh, as you've explicated for us. So these things we pray that you'd stir us this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm uh, 52 right now. I'll confess that right off the bat. And uh, I am growing older. It seems that every decade something new impresses my body that no longer is working. Uh, so I, I thought it would be appropriate to really try to get on the other side of that and to look spiritually at what's going on in my life and to understand that though I may be growing older, uh, things are still new. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, but uh, I, I was, believe it or not, a former athlete to some degree. Uh, my background's in physical education. I, I played all kinds of sports. I coached sports, uh, did those kinds of things. And for those of you who are around your 50s and former athletes out there, you might remember the Nike commercials, Bo Knows. Maybe I'm sort of already alienated half my audience, I don't know. But let me explain who Bo is. Bo Jackson was one of those once-in-a-generation athletes that competed successfully on the professional level in two sports. It's very rare, football and baseball. And because Bo Jackson was so successful, Nike created an ad campaign uh, that took this idea that Bo knows to a humorous level claiming that Bo knows everything. He knows hockey, golf. I think uh, there were even commercials with him graduating and having academic regalia on. He knew academics. He knew everything. And, of course, what made him know everything is he wore Nike tennis shoes. So that was the key. And that was sort of the, the hook there. So we all had to go out and get Nike tennis shoes if we wanted to know anything. Uh, much of my college career was spent walking out of my classes, whispering to my buddies, well, I'm sure glad Bo knows that stuff because I sure don't. Whether it was Brit Lit or college algebra, I'm just glad Bo knows. So to some degree, he was a comfort uh, that he knew so much. But suffice it to say, the ad campaign was amazingly successful. Um, I want to impress upon our hearts this, if, if Bo knows things, can I say this on the first Sunday of the new year, the church knows new. I want you to write that down if you take notes. The church knows new. This is what we know. We know the concept, the idea, the truth, the reality of newness. New. We own this. The church owns the word new. New is a word that everybody loves. <clears throat> we love new cars, new clothes, new gifts, new relationships. The church has a corner on the market of spiritually new things. Could we say in the areas where it matters most, we own newness. This morning I want Grace Church to own new in a way that perhaps we haven't in the year gone by as we look particularly to the new year. God wants us to live life in transformative newness, regardless of your chronological age, Regardless of your socioeconomic status, regardless of race, color, God wants you, if you're here tonight or this morning in Christ, he wants you to look at 2021 through the lenses of transformative newness, the reality that exists in your life. So by way of structure this morning, I want to look at three very simple passages in Scripture that indicate 
a new reality that exists in the life of believers. Now, there's many more that we could take time for. In fact, I had five. So be thankful that I only chose three. And, uh, and uh, we will hopefully get out in, in a time that's appropriate. But I want to look at three specific areas where the Bible declares that the church, those of you who are called out, who are found to be in Christ, you are new. It's very important we understand this new standing. So the first thing I want us to see this morning <clears throat> is that your insight into life is brand new when you're in Christ. Your insight is new according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. You have your Bibles open there, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Your insight is new because new things have come to you. Brand new things if you're in Christ. And they are perpetually and eternally new. Because the one who gives them and sustains them is himself eternally and perpetually unaffected by the passing of time. He never grows old and he never changes. So all the things that are yes in Christ are yours today, will be yours in 2021. You possess them for all eternity and they will never bear the marks of moth and rust and corruption. You are in a an eternal, perpetual state of newness, dear believer. And specifically, our point this morning here, our first point, is your insight is new. You know, 2020 would be nothing if it wasn't a year where we were grappling and grasping for insights. We were looking for insights in relationships to the political arena, uh, in relationships to the health arena, uh, in the arena of, of, of even the organizations and, and how our families are going to interact, let alone how we're going to do church from week to week. We were grasping for insight. Well, dear friend, I want you to know if you're in Christ, your insight is brand new. Because you have new things. First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold. Very important word there. We need to take a long, lingering look at what's about ready to be said. Behold, new things have come. New things have come. Now, if, you are, if you've been here long at Grace Church of Menor, you're somebody who's an individual who studies the Bible. And, and one of the things, uh, when you hear a verse simply quoted, uh, that's not sufficient for you because you want to handle the scriptures like you handle your newspaper. You, you like to read the whole paragraph. You like to get the whole idea. So it's important that I bring you up to speed in the book of 2 Corinthians as to why I'm saying that you have a brand new insight. This verse isn't often viewed as an insight idea. It's often viewed as more of an identity idea. But I believe that Paul's arguing that your new creation in Christ, beyond being an identity issue, is an insight issue. And it gives you great hope. So let me walk you through that. So the context in 2 Corinthians was really Paul defending his apostolic authority. 
He writes this in chapter 1, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. So you can hear that underneath those words is a church that was sort of rejecting Paul's authority in their life. Paul is writing to them a letter defending his authority, defending his apostolic right to speak for the very Jesus, the God of heaven, under inspiration, and to uh, encourage the church to do what God wanted them to do. He acknowledges in, in chapter 4, verse 7, that this ministry comes to the Corinthians not in a polished fashion as they were accustomed to. Remember, what they were accustomed to were sort of these itinerant teachers who, who sort of had, you know, their, their one or two messages all polished and perfected. Uh, they knew where to sigh and where to pause, and they knew... Uh, you know, the, the, the arguments that potentially would be laid at their feet, and they, they had this well-polished sort of presentation. This is what Corinth was used to. It was a place that was filled with, with these itinerant preachers. Paul was not that. And he admits to that reality. Uh, it didn't come to them in a polished fashion as they would expect, but rather, he says this in chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen containers. He's admitting, I'm not polished. The grace that God has given to me is in an earthen vessel. Earthen vessels typically were used in the, at this time to, to for a, a short period of time, and then they were thrown in the pottery heap and broken to bits. In other words, the issue was not the beauty of the vessel. The vessel simply had a purpose, and it was a short-lived purpose. You didn't, you didn't go to waste on the vessel. Um, but we have this treasure in earthen containers so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might also be revealed in our body. And then as we come into chapter 5, he takes great comfort in verses 1 through 4 that though his earthly tent is being torn down, he possesses something. He possesses a building from God. So I love that wordplay. We have a tent as compared to a building. They're two very different things. <laughs> One is very temporary. The other is meant to be very permanent. Paul has a building from God, and this is what he wants the church at Corinth to really understand. It wasn't in the polished rhetoric. It was in the content. And the content was that God had given Paul uh, a building, a building, a permanent building. This building from God, this new body that Paul would eventually enjoy, came from God with an amazing pledge in chapter 5, verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Think of that. If you've sold a car here or some item on 
Facebook Marketplace or OfferUp, if it's a little bit more expensive item and you're kind of going back and forth, uh, in order for you to secure not selling it to others, you would often ask for maybe a Venmo or a Cash App, a forward of 100 bucks. And that 100 bucks would serve as a pledge that the party who's interested in purchasing the item was serious. And as a result, you, the seller, would not sell it to anybody else. It, it's a binding thing, and it's, it's more than just the ordinary, trust me, you know, kind of an idea. It comes with some real, tangible asset that really puts pressure on the arrangement that this will happen. This is what God has done in giving to the church the Holy Spirit. I mean, it would be one thing for God simply to, to say so, because we know God doesn't lie. But God has gone so far beyond that by depositing into each and every one of our lives this amazing asset, God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit which guarantees that God is giving, has given you a building, a new body. And this Paul finds great comfort in, in this pledge. And then really where our passage comes in here, there are four logical conclusions that follow this amazing truth. That we have a promise of a future building from God and that this promise comes with the pledge of the indwelling presence of, of the Spirit of God, God Himself in us. Verse 6, the first therefore, as a result, are, are this sort of new insight, if you will. We are always of good courage. That's powerful. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Therefore, we're of good courage. We walk by faith and not by sight. These are matters of insight. We no longer assess life by what these eyes, these physical eyes, see. We are assessing life by what our spiritual eyesight knows and understands from the Word of God. And that's critical. That's critical. We have new insight. New insight. Verse 11, another therefore. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do what? We persuade people as we are simply controlled. The rest of that paragraph goes on to tell us that we are controlled by the love of Christ. The idea here is he died for all. Paul says, whether people think I'm out of my mind or I'm in my right mind, it makes no difference to me because I'm not controlled by the opinions of others. I'm controlled by the love of Christ. And it's utterly realistic. It's transformative. And frankly, friend, your opinion concerning me is inconsequential. It may hurt. It may, uh, maybe that's a consequence, but fundamentally it's not consequential in forming my insight. Certainly doesn't form my insight of returning judgment upon you because Christ died for all. So if I have hope, so do you. So I don't stand here and get offended and angry and stomp out and 
No. We're going to bear things patiently, like Paul is, in fact, modeling for us in the church at Corinth. He's going to have a new insight, a very profound insight. And then we come to our passage in verse 16 here. Um, Therefore, uh, now we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. And then, therefore, these kind of are taken together. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We, we recognize no one by the flesh. Why? Because of the potential for some who don't know Christ and the reality for those who do know Christ are in, and, are, and are in Christ, the potential of transformative change. So we never put the period on anyone's life and write them off as hopeless and helpless. You know, some of us um, have been in churches all of our lives, and we, we, uh, uh, we, we may claim that we have been burned or we've had difficult uh, experiences. And the insight that you need in those moments is supernatural and profound. That even the circumstances, the people, the individuals, maybe even spiritual leadership that have created some of those matters of great consternation. Not only they, they, they don't get the period either, frankly. They're still growing. We as elders and deacons, we're still moving. And we need that gracious new kind of insight. Verse 20, therefore, we are what? Here's another. We are ambassadors. We persuade men. We are ambassadors for who? For Christ. We don't, we're not ambassadors for ourselves. We're not, it's just, this is a new thing. This is a new insight. Everything's new. We look at things very differently being in Christ. So newness controls your insight into your own heart. It controls your insight into the heart of those around you. You know, insight is defined as this, as the capacity to gain an accurate and deep intuitive understanding of a person or thing. Dear church, as we assess what is going on around us in 2020, may God grant us insight, a new insight. An insight that is courageous because it walks by faith and not by sight. It's a courageous insight. It's, a, it's, a, it's an insight that, that knows the fear of the Lord. And because it knows the fear of the Lord, it seeks to persuade people graciously and gently because Christ died for all people, regardless of where we find them or who they are or what they've done to us. We, we still have the disposition of wanting to persuade them to Christ. We don't recognize anyone just merely by the flesh anymore because of the reality that Christ can transform anybody. He has me, he has you, and he can transform anybody. We don't look at people just according to the flesh anymore. And we're ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors of Christ. The fact of the matter is is that any man or woman, no matter how difficult they may be can be made that new creation and it's with this insight 
that we walk into 2021 and we seek to continue to renew our heart to the mission of glorifying God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ's likeness. We seek to each individually take that up in some fashion in our life. So we seek to disciple one another unto that as we have the opportunity to evangelize people to that reality. So your insight is new. Number two this morning, number two, not only is our insight new, but your way is new. Your, your, the way, it's a new and living way. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, James, it's a few pages to the right. Hebrews chapter 10. Really, the verse we're going to focus on is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Here we find our phrase, new, or our word new. Verse number 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he, the word here in the, in, is inaugurated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. So let's again build the context of this verse so we can have a real good understanding. The context that this verse finds itself, itself in is the superior nature of the high priestly ministry of Jesus in comparison to the high priestly ministry of Aaron who ministered according to the old covenant. Jesus, according to the new covenant, um, so when Christ appeared as high priest in chapter 9, verse 11 through 14 of Hebrews, but when uh, the author writes this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things, have, good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, this is just speaking to the old Aaronic priesthood uh, expressions that were required in the Old Testament. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, how much more, there's those words we love in the book of Hebrews, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your what? Your conscience. Your conscience. From dead works to serve the living God. Um, looking back up to verse 18 in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, um, Chapter 10, back to chapter 10, verse number 18. Forgiveness, then, has been granted once for all so that there is no longer any possible offering for sin that can be made. And as a result, what Jesus has done has created a new way and a living way. So the reality is, dear beloved, there is old ways and dead ways 
to handle the immaterial part of who you are. If there's a new and a living way secured by the very work and ministry of Jesus as our high priest there on the cross, then we've got to We've got to confess that there is old and dead ways. Certainly one of the old dead ways that the author exposes is the ironic priesthood way of doing things. And it doesn't do so pejoratively or negatively. It's just saying that it was incomplete. But I would argue that there are old and dead ways that you deal with yourself and others that we want to identify and put off and learn to live in this new living way, new living way. So here's the question, or really the statement. You have a new and living way to deal with your conscience and its guilt of past and present sin. That's really the focus of the author of Hebrews. It's the conscience, your individual, particular conscience, that little thing that God created in every human being that exposes or, or, or uh, that moral law within that teaches us when we have done something wrong, we feel guilty. Certainly that can be seared and uh, be of no value. There's certainly people in history who seem to have had no conscience, right? For those of us who are in Christ, our consciences are informed by the word of God, so it can potentially be even more sensitive. But the conscience, how do you deal with your conscience? There's an old dead way, but dearly beloved, there's a new way. The former way that the author of Hebrews is exposing here was more of a covering for sin, as they would bring animal after animal when they sinned to the altar, and those animals were sacrificed, the blood was spilt. It was a very long process. It was a very drawn-out process, and all that was really... Uh, 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 illustrated or pictured was that somebody had to die. It was a, it was a very, uh, let's just say the Jewish people were, were particularly the priests, were great butchers. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and this was what the old way did. It was, it was constantly, uh, yes, these people were, they knew the law. The law only excited their sin. They brought their goats those who were truly born again were sorry the, the little lambs the goats the whatever the offering might be it would be lost in the flame or would be killed its blood would be shed and this would go on and on and their sins were covered there was no satisfaction final and full that's the old way the old way is to continue to rehearse to continue to to bring up to continue to remember If you want to look at it this way, perhaps more of a modern idea. We don't necessarily, thankfully, sacrifice animals. But we do all have mortgages. Most of us do. A large mortgage on our home. The old way is paying that mortgage every month. Write that check out. For some of us, we're under a 30-year Mortgage. That's a lot of payments. Do you get the right to live in the house? 
Well, sure, as long as you make your payments. There's actually some legal protections for you. Sort of like that Old Testament Israelite. That every time they were writing out that check. They were, they were taking care of their conscience one installment at a time. Very painfully. A windfall comes. And some of you have had this joyful opportunity. We've had this at our church. We get to burn mortgages. And there's few things that are greater delight than that. So we burn mortgages. That's what Jesus did at the cross in relationship to our sin, as we seek to minister to our conscience in relationship to our own sin. Jesus Christ has completely obliterated the debt in a substitutionary way. And in this way, we minister to our conscience, so much so that John can write in 1 John chapter 3, if your own heart condemns you, you know, I've heard this sort of sincerely by some. For others, it, 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 it rings a little hollow. They might say, well, I, I get that God forgives me. I just can't forgive myself. Well, you know what John says about that in 1 John? He ties saving faith firmly to the idea that if God forgives me, what I think about myself is really inconsequential. That's what he's saying in 1 John chapter 3. I appreciate the sentiment, but friend, stop holding on to that. God doesn't call you to forgive yourself. That's nowhere written in the scriptures. You're called to be holy. You're called to have new insight. You're called to a new and living way. Don't worry so much about yourself. Don't do that. Christ. Christ alone. God said it. That settles it. That settles it. So application for our point then is really given to us right in the passage. Because the way is new and living, monthly payments made to our conscience no longer need to happen. This idea of you forgiving yourself, it's just inconsequential. God's not up in heaven saying, oh, why can't they forgive themselves? No, God's up in heaven going, okay? <laughs> the angels are going, all right, well, let's get beyond this. You know, this has been taken care of. Oh, my land. So what's left? Hebrews 10, we draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Our assurance cup is filled up because the mortgage is paid, the debt is gone, regardless of what my conscience may be saying in the moment. I enjoy that forgiveness. I hold fast to my confession of hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and I consider then how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. These, these are the three implications of this new and living way. My goodness, we need to not worry so much at looking ourselves in the mirror. Let's throw the mirror out and let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let's learn to hold fast to our confession. That's what we do. We confess, confess, confess. Right? God's final payment enables us to confess. 
And then we stimulate each other to love and good deeds. So how do you handle the guilt of sin? Is it the dead old way? Do you rationalize, get angry, blame, shift? Is your conscience your master? Or is Jesus and his finished work on the cross? The new and living way gives us the amazing ability to do what? It gives us the amazing ability to confess sin. It gives us the ability to say, I blew it. I just flat out blew it. It gives us that ability. Because there is no condemnation. The reason why we don't say I flat out blew it is because we're worried about being condemned. So it truncates the ability to confess when we are not thinking biblically. Um, so we, we have the ability to confess. 1 John 1, 9. If we do what? If we confess our sin, if we agree with God that God, I blew it. I, I, what you say is true in your word. I should not have done that. I was wrong. I sinned. I can actually say that because I don't fear condemnation. What I fear is not growing in grace. That's what I fear. That's what I fear. We don't have to rationalize it. We don't have to do penance for it. Uh, uh, nor do we have to ignore it as if nothing ever happened. All the while watching how destructive and complicating those approaches are to life in general but because there is no condemnation there is satisfaction made in the blood of Jesus we can face it and confess it in addition by God's grace revealed in the instruction of his word we can deal with the embarrassment of it and often the difficult consequences of it believer your way is new it's living and it's striking in relationship to how you deal with your conscience it's striking Number three this morning, with this we close. Not only is your way new, um, we've got our other one here, your insight is new, but your walk is new. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Turn your Bibles there. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And here we have our word, new. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a newness of life. A newness of life. The context here is a very simple one. It's what we celebrate in water baptism. It's this spiritual union, this definitive union that we have in Christ. Physical walking, if I could build an analogy, physical walking really requires two parts. Number one, I must have the popular ambulators or tools uh, evidently upright walkers in relationship to the rest of the created order is a rare thing we, we, we have ambulators <laughs> we have two of them feet, legs usually but the second thing not only do we have to have the right equipment we must have the proper rationalizing capability to make sure those ambulators work properly that we, we actually get to where we're trying to go and we're not succumbing to danger spiritually speaking our union with Christ revolutionized how we walk spiritually he has given us the proper equipment a new nature indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit a real definitive eternal union with Jesus himself. We symbolize this by water baptism. Getting dunked in water revolutionizes every nook and cranny of your body. 
That's a beautiful picture of what happened when you were placed in Christ. It revolutionizes you. Spiritually, he has given us a new rationalizing apparatus. So he's given us the equipment, and he's given us a new rationalizing apparatus. The only inappropriate thought for those who are in Christ is, I just can't help it. Can you imagine that? For those of you who are fathers or mothers, and, 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 you know, and, and there's your child, you know, they're trying to do something that you have the power, the strength, and the capability to do, and the child throws up his hands and he says, I can never do this, or this will never get done. And you're sitting there saying, hello, want to just ask? It'll be a piece of cake, right? So when we're in Christ, the idea that I just can't help it, think of that. How irrational, if you're in Christ, it is to say, I just can't help it anymore. I just got to sin. I just got to do, have my own way. Just how irrational that is. Jesus is the eternal God of heaven all power. He definitely can help. Um, so spiritually, he's given us this new rationalizing apparatus. It's all found in Christ. We are in this new arena, this new place, this new geography, whatever verbiage you want, something that you can meditate on. I am in Christ. The whole New Testament is the explication of this amazing definitive union. My whole course of life and the maintenance of the immaterial part of who I am and how I rationalize internally, all the things that happen to me externally are now governed by my union with Christ. I am in Christ. I have absolute new, new, a new walk, a new walk and a new way. So, beloved, as we contemplate 2021, know that you own new. And... Uh, the more you can understand your, who you are in Christ and the newness you enjoy, uh, the more you'll grow in grace, the more productive your life will be, the more glory you'll bring to the God of heaven, and the more our church will move forward in the constructs that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. So may God help us to attend to new things, to the new way, the new living way, the new walk, and the new insight that we have and enjoy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy. Thank you for the patience of these dear people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.